Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Art of the Float. Today's a little bit different. Today we are hosting the audio from the June 15th, 2021 speech that Dr. Justin Feinstein gave on a Zoom call. A lot of you were probably there. Uh, feel free to listen to this to review the audio. I know a lot of you weren't able to make it. Uh, we had between, I think, 50 and 60 people on, and um, it was uh, quite interesting. It's uh, very exciting what's what's going on and how Dr. Feinstein is pushing float research forward. So please give it a listen if you weren't able to, and again, give it a review if you already have. As always, I do want to give a shout out to our fantastic sponsors. Of course, Helmbot is the software that probably most of us are using currently. If you aren't, you should definitely go to helmbot.com, get a get the demo, get a full walkthrough, have all of your questions answered so that you know that Helmbot can work for your business. It can do a lot. One of the things I love that they implemented somewhat recently was sessions available for, for us. It's our LMTs. LMTs they have limited resources. They can't work all the time. They're not like our float tanks that as soon as we open until we close, they're running. LMTs need a break. And so they can each have a certain amount of time or account on how many massages they can give, which really means, which means that our staff can take care of our LMTs better without uh, notes, a spreadsheet somewhere, um, you know, to the side of our keyboard. It just makes everything, as always, as I always say, it's all these different things we want in one place. That's Helmbot. Also, so go to helmbot.com. Also, I want to give a big shout out to Isopod, I-S-O-P-O-D.com. Isopod are the float tanks that I absolutely love. It's where I do my photo shoots because they're so spacious. And also, I just love that it's the friendliest float tank. When I bring somebody in, they're able to see uh, something that makes them go, ah, they're relieved to see what a float tank looks like. Um, I've, I've had people who say that they have claustrophobia, and as soon as they see the float tank, they're like, oh, I can do this. Like, this is no big deal. It's an extremely friendly float tank, and it's also very friendly on the back end as well. It's a very simple float tank for us to run, despite all the advanced gadgetry that goes into it. Go to i-sopod.com and tell them Art of the Float sent you. I should make a note that, uh, as always, as always, these sponsors are for Art of the Float, and we do not speak for any of our guests on the show, which, of course, includes Dr. Feinstein. should put that note in there. Speaking of Dr. Feinstein, let's go ahead and start his speech. Oh, I should also add that you can see any of his slides on artofthefloat.com on the show page for this episode. If you want to follow along with what he's talking about, you can. Again, that's on artofthefloat.com. Enjoy. Some of you may recognize this. It's not um, exactly Earth's moon, but it is kind of a moon. It's, I would say it's the moon for floating. It's, it's our moonshot. And this is the planet Ceres. It's uh, a dwarf planet that's sort of located in the asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter. And I love this planet the most because uh, this little white uh, spot in the middle is actually a giant pool of magnesium sulfate. So it's the perfect uh, uh, moonshot for our industry. And to me, I, I really do believe that this float research collective is our moonshot. 
And we're going to spend a little bit of time discussing how I envision this collective. So first of all, um, we're in the process of forming uh, this collective as a 501c3 nonprofit organization. And the 501c3 status is super important because essentially it allows us to uh, receive uh, donations that are completely tax deductible. And so this is a really important distinction to get. And, and most of this year is actually going to be spent getting 501c3 status. Now, there's really four primary aims to the collective. And I'm going to go through those here. The first one is to raise funds for the continuation of clinical float research. Fundraising is a perennial issue for all of research. I could tell you that because I, I spent really the past decade writing grants, a ton of grants, and it's not easy to get grants. I was able to get the first NIH funded uh, float grant um, that happened a few years ago, and we're just finishing up that research. And that was a grant, just to, to give you a concrete example, a three-year grant that was about $750,000. And that's actually considered just sort of a mid-range grant. There's, there's a lot of grants that are smaller, but there's also a lot of grants that are larger than that. And it's not cheap to do clinical research, and especially the type of clinical research that I think we need to do as an industry. And so I think fundraising is going to be a, a really important aim of the collective. The second aim is to establish floating as an accepted medical modality, something that could be reimbursed by health insurance providers, something that could be prescribed by doctors and healthcare professionals. Could you imagine if, if you know, 5, 10, 15 years from now, everything goes as we envision, you go to your doctor and you start saying, hey, doctor, you know, I'm, I'm anxious all the time. I'm having trouble sleeping. I'm feeling constant back pain. And instead of bringing out a prescription pad and giving you an opiate or a benzo, they write you a prescription for floating. And that is completely paid for by health insurance providers. You know, to me, this is really kind of the long-term goal of the collective in my mind. And it's something that I think is within reach. I think some of the research I've already published has provided a foundation that will get us there, but it's not enough. We need more research. And that's really the third goal. Um, the collective is really about facilitating float research around the world. And part of that is creating a cloud-based platform so we could actually collect data at float centers across the world. And I think this is an exciting part for you guys because we're going to create an infrastructure that you could then utilize and help us collect a lot of data points, a lot more than any individual laboratory could ever collect. You know, I've never actually calculated this, but I would entertain that there's probably thousands of people floating every day around the world. And imagine how neat that would be if we could collect thousands of data points every day and just have this giant database. I think we're in a unique position with a lot of the modern technology to do that. And then finally, um, I believe a, a primary aim of the collective is to be an educational resource for the float industry. Something that um, 
other uh, researchers could turn to, other doctors or clinicians who are interested in floating could turn to, or just even lay people who are just trying to understand a little more of what is the evidence base behind floating. And I think, you know, we're starting to make a little bit of traction on this fourth goal. Um, we did put together a, um, a website for the Float Research Collective that will eventually become the main platform. It's just more or less a, a holding page until we get 501c3 status. But we've also put together a full website that hopefully all of you know about. It's clinicalfloat.com. And I wanna thank um, Colin and Jenny Stanwell-Smith, as well as uh, especially uh, Toby Stanwell-Smith, who really put this website together for the whole industry. Um, they're all part of Float Away. They believe heavily in this idea of clinical flotation, that flotation could help people with clinical issues. And they completely uh, uh, put that website together from scratch with, with my guidance. And so right now there's a repository of um, all the peer reviewed uh, studies that have been published on floating. And you could find that on that website. And in fact, this past year, there's this been quite a few new studies that um, you guys could um, check out. So on top of that, this year, we've done something that I never thought we would ever do, or at least I would ever do, which is social media. And on account of my wife, Brooke, who uh, really encouraged me to embrace social media, even after I, I did a whole TED talk saying how dangerous social media is, I do think it has some virtue um, for communicating. And we've started four different social media accounts. They're all listed here. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. So please sign up for updates. We have been posting on them um, relatively regularly. And, you know, I think this is going to be a way that we're going to try to disseminate information as a form of education for the float industry. And the other thing we're going to start doing is um, we're going to create a section of the clinical float website called Research Explained. So for example, um, just a month or two ago, we published the first ever float fMRI study showing how floating affects the brain. And this is really the first time we've been able to, to really understand that. And the study is published in Human Brain Mapping. It's a, it's a good specialty journal. But a lot of the wording in there and a lot of the conclusions are going to be out of reach to people who aren't necessarily neuroscientists. So one of our goals in this research explained uh, portion of the website is to sort of break down the research studies into layman's terms, something that's digestible, something that's interpretable, and then importantly, something that you guys could then share on social media. So this will be part of what the collective does is we will be, become an educational resource for the, the float industry. Now, going back to series in our moonshot, there are places, clinical institutes that are conducting clinical float research. And I think the primary one is the Lloyd Institute for Brain Research. And 
it's important to acknowledge that they're continuing to do clinical uh, float studies. My, my really close friend and collaborator, Dr. Saeed Khalsa, is now leading the float clinic and research center and is running several long-term clinical trials, including in patients with anxiety disorders, as well as patients with anorexia nervosa. And we're doing longitudinal follow-up six months in the anxiety study and one year later in the anorexia study. So these are hard to run clinical trials and they're ongoing. And hopefully in the next year or two, we're actually gonna have data that we could publish on those clinical trials. On top of the Laureate Institute, uh, there's also a bunch of other institutes and universities that have either started doing float research or are in the process of starting float research. And I've put together a, a, a sampling of those here. Um, some of these, for example, are collaborations between um, institutes and local float centers. So for example, um, Andy Larson at Float Milwaukee, where the conference will be this year, has started a collaboration with Terry Darun Cassini at the Medical College of Wisconsin, where um, she runs an acute trauma center. These are patients who've suffered tremendously. They come into the ER on an ambulance and they've suffered some traumatic event and she's gonna be sending them over to Andy's center to float and see if floating could stop the onset of PTSD. What a neat study that is. And that's a perfect example of a collaboration between an institute and a recreational float center. Other places, for example, like West Virginia University have their own float center at the uh, Rockefeller Neuroscience Institute, where they're able to conduct studies and they're doing things like research into TBI and concussion. So we're starting to see this percolation of other institutes pick up on float research. To me, this is exciting. This is what we need. We need a lot of researchers and they could all be part of this collective. On top of it, the collective is going to include other nonprofit uh, uh, institutes and uh, uh, um, organizations in floating. So for example, the float conference, the float collective, and the Flotation Tank Association could all be an important uh, um, uh, collaborator for the Float Research Collective. And we could find ways to uh, um, mutually collaborate on projects, inform one another. And so I'm really looking forward to, to joining forces with those groups. And then importantly, I think all the float centers around the, the country and the world could also become part of this collective. This, this is not necessarily an exclusive organization. In fact, I think there's a lot to benefit from the, the collective whole of everything that we're doing here as an industry. So, you know, Laureate Institute was, was really the beginning of this. I'm no longer there, but it continues doing float research. And now what I wanna do is I wanna spend my time building this entire infrastructure of research. It's gonna be a long-term endeavor. This is gonna take many years, even decades, to really fulfill the, the, the aims of the organization. So 
just to get into a little bit of the nuances, we need more researchers, even though I listed some institutes there that are just getting off the ground, some that are a little further along, we need a lot more researchers. There's no reason we can't have dozens of universities and institutes participating in flow research. And we need more research and importantly, we need replication. A lot of the studies that have been published so far are one-off studies that have not been replicated. And really, if we want this to be taken seriously by the, the medical field, they need to see that this replicates and if we could do these sorts of real world studies in float centers, that's a really good proof of principle that a doctor could then go send their patients to one of your facilities and they're gonna get benefit. We need to publish the research. I think there's been studies that have been done in the industry that have not followed the rigors of a proper research study. And as a consequence, they've never been published. If we want the medical field to take us seriously, we need to publish our papers in respected peer-reviewed journals. And then I think we could collect data at recreational float centers. This is an untapped potential. There's integrated cloud-based uh, uh, databases like REDCap, for example, where we could have you uh, use tablets. Could be an iPad or some other tablet. As long as it has the ability to connect to Wi-Fi, you could then be part of this database and you could administer surveys pre and post float. And it wouldn't be hard, I think, to have a bunch of different tablets at float centers across the country who are connected to this cloud-based system. And we could mine the data, we could potentially publish it with large data sets in respectable journals. And we could really uh, use it as a tool to sort and analyze data for questions of interest. There's so many low hanging fruits that we really have no data points on when it comes to floating. And these are the sorts of things that if we had a cloud-based system, we could rapidly try to analyze. So let me give you a concrete example. One of the things the medical professionals are all going to be concerned about with floating is, is it safe? And I think we have some anecdotal data and some data that I've published to show that indeed it is very safe, but we have to quantify that, right? So let me give you uh, an example of that done in another modality that's quite similar. This is a paper that just came out a week ago. It was published by some pretty big figureheads like Richie Davidson, who are major meditation researchers. And it's looking at the prevalence of what they're calling meditation-related adverse effects or MRAEs in a population-based sample in the United States. Now, most of us don't think of meditation as being a very dangerous practice. Most of us think that it would be relatively safe. Well, they did a population-based survey of 434 people. And guess what? Almost a third of the, the sample reported at least one adverse effect of meditation. And 10% of the sample reported that that adverse effect lasted for over a month. Think about that. And the top three adverse effects were number one, anxiety in 27% of the sample. Two was traumatic re-experiencing in 26%. And three is emotional sensitivity in 23%. 
So basically a quarter of people are actually reporting while they're meditating an exacerbation of these clinical symptoms. So firstly, I think this should open your eyes to the fact that there are adverse events, even in something that could seem very safe, like meditation. In my mind, this actually presents a, a pretty compelling reason why you should combine meditation with floating, because as I've shown, there's strong anti-anxiety effects when it comes to floating. So if you meditate in that environment, you would probably reduce the occurrence of some of those anxiety effects, right? But I think most importantly, this is exactly the sort of study that we could conduct if we had a cloud-based system around the country and the world where we could rapidly collect data and then study it and publish it and show the medical professionals whether or not floating is safe, which I think it is, but we have to show it. We have to quantitate that. Now, another thing I think is worth considering, there's a lot of other nonprofits out there and we could use them as a model for the Float Research Collective. I think we don't have to start from scratch. There's a lot we could learn from other organizations that are trying to do a similar mission, but with a different modality. And one organization that some of you may know because the head of it, Rick Doblin, gave a talk at the Float Conference a few years back is MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. This is a 501c3. It's been around for 35 years, you guys. Think about that. And actually, it was only in this past year, they've been doing a lot of studies now, but only in this past year have they found the, the momentum and the data to actually drive this into the clinical domain. It's really been a monumental year for MAPS if you've been following this. They had a study that came out in Nature Medicine. It was a phase three clinical trial looking at MDMA with therapy for the treatment of severe PTSD. And it was a proper randomized, double-blinded, placebo-controlled study. It was done with 45 people in each group. They had three different sessions where they received MDMA. They had multiple sessions where they received therapy and um, half of the, the subjects received placebo. And they showed that um, MDMA combined with therapy was highly effective for the treatment of PTSD, significantly more than placebo. And it got published in a very good journal. Another study that came out in the top medical journal, the New England Journal of Medicine, uh, was a study looking at a comparison of psilocybin with therapy versus um, a classic SSRI for the treatment of depression. And here they gave uh, 30 people in each group two different doses of uh, psilocybin or placebo, and then the other group got a continuous daily dose of the SSRI. And they showed in a proper double-blinded manner that um, psilocybin was just as good, if not better, than the classic SSRI in treating depression. So this is really big news. You know, these are top-notch research journals. These are proper randomized controlled trials. And as a consequence, it made a ton of headway uh, was the cover of the New York Times in two different uh, uh, um, 
write-ups. One was called The Psychedelic Revolution is Coming. Psychiatry may never be the same. And so this is exciting because it's previewing a process that they started many decades ago and is finally coming to fruition. And that process is they're about to get FDA approval for the first time of MDMA and then eventually psilocybin for the treatment of various psychiatric disorders, including PTSD and depression. By their estimation, 2022 will be when they receive FDA approval, maybe 2023. And when that happens, this is going to be a huge boom for the entire industry of psychedelics. You're going to see an entire industry develop around this. But it took a lot of steps to get there. And MAPS was a big part of that. And it wasn't cheap. It was not cheap. Just to give you an example, this is their budget sheet. Everything when you do a, a 501c3 is transparent. You could always see how money is being spent. And they made $19 million in revenue last year. Um, uh, 19, uh, the year was uh, 2019 to 2020. They haven't released this past year yet. And they spent $18 million of that. So these are expensive studies. This is not cheap to do this research. On top of it, they also did something called the Capstone Campaign in 2020, where they had the goal of raising $30 million in 90 days. And Tim Ferriss uh, was a big spearheader of this initiative. And they did it. They raised $30 million in 90 days last year. And this is to continue those phase three studies to get FDA approval. If you take a classic drug, like for example, esketamine uh, was recently FDA approved for the treatment of depression. Those phase three studies could run upwards of $100 million. So this is really expensive to do these studies. I don't necessarily think we could compete with that, but I think there are things that we could do at a smaller scale level for example, this trial of psilocybin versus an SSRI. This is similar to actually the trial I was proposing a few years ago at the float conference of taking floating versus the standard benzodiazepine for the treatment of anxiety, right? And if we could get that into a journal like New England Journal of Medicine, they only had 30 people in each group for this study. I think we could then show that there's an effective short-term decrease in anxiety that's just as good as a classic benzo. And so I think there are low-hanging fruits, even if we can't do some of these multi-million dollar clinical trials. So let's discuss pragmatics. You know, what is the timeline? Research takes a long time. MAPS took 35 years to get to the point where they're about to have FDA approval. Here's what I think is a realistic timeline for the next few years. So firstly, I'm spending a lot of time and energy trying to get 501c3 status. It requires a lot of paperwork. I found as of this week, a local attorney in Hawaii who is a nonprofit specialist that could help me in this, but it's not cheap. I'm guessing it's going to be somewhere around the $5,000 range, um, maybe a little bit less if, if we get it, the, the 501c3 status at our first pass. 
And if there's anybody out there who wants to help me with those legal fees, I'm, I'm happy to uh, take that help because it is expensive. But I think it's important because once we get 501c3 status, we could begin to accept tax deductible donations. And that's going to be key to the aims of, of the collective. The other things that uh, we're going to be doing this year is forming a board of directors and forming four subcommittees that I'll be talking about here shortly. So that's 2021. In 2022, assuming that we get 501c3 status, and by the way, it takes the IRS about six to eight months to approve an organization as a 501c3. It's a long process. They have a lot of backlog and they're very diligent about making sure people qualify. So once we get 501c3 status in 2022, we would begin fundraising in earnest. And we would also begin creating a cloud-based platform so we could collect data at float centers around the country and the world. And then 2023, we'll commence hopefully all of our first set of research studies. And all of this is dependent on how much money we're able to fundraise and how well we're able to build that cloud-based platform. But I imagine these research studies could range from small-scale pilot projects if we're only able to say fundraise uh, a few, uh, um, you know, $100,000. Whereas if we get millions of dollars, say we have a wealthy philanthropist who, who wants to participate, we could do multi-site randomized control trials like you saw with MAPS and try to do some really serious, rigorous studies. So it all depends on our fundraising efforts for the type of studies we could do. But as you see, research is slow. It takes time. It takes many years. And this is a marathon, you guys. You have to view it as a marathon. And we're just beginning as an industry right now, the rakes. This is something that is going to take a lot of time and a lot of sort of communal effort. We're all part of this. But I think if we put our heads together, we come together as an industry, I think we could be very effective. We could be as effective as MAPS, if not even more effective. And in another 5, 10, 15 years, we could be the one getting approved by all of the medical organizations so that floating is the next therapy. I really believe that. So I'm almost done. I want to quickly talk about the four subcommittees that I envision for the collective. And I'm going to need people to infuse themselves in each of these subcommittees. So if you're interested in volunteering to be part of the collective, think about how you might want to uh, be part of one or more of these subcommittees. So the way I've organized it is each subcommittee is going to sort of oversee one of the four aims of the collective. The fundraising committee, I think is gonna be really important. You know, these are people who are going to spend a lot of time uh, uh, creating fundraising campaigns. And this could be everything from figuring out ways that clients at float centers can automatically make a small donation to the collective each time they float all the way up to maybe float centers who donate a portion of their monthly profits to the collective, or maybe reaching out to wealthy philanthropists. I just saw today that uh, Mackenzie Scott, Jeff Bezos' ex-wife, donated $3 billion to nonprofits, a whole slew of them. 
So maybe there's ways we could get some of those wealthy philanthropists to donate to this worthy cause. So that's the fundraising committee. The second is really about getting medical approval. And I think there's a lot of things we can do. Um, some of you may have heard Tony Basil earlier from the Flotation Tank Association of Australia. Um, I visited uh, Tony in Australia a few years ago and Australia is way ahead of America when it comes to the medical approval of floating. In fact, there's already disability organizations at the level of the government that are reimbursing people for 20 or more float sessions because of their disability. And they're paying for all of that, some of it retroactively. And uh, Tony is spending a lot of time finding other inroads so other uh, medical conditions such as burnout can be covered by the Australian government, which has a form of, of socialized medicine. I think there's a lot of inroads we could have here in America. There's the whole VA healthcare system that I'm really itching to get into. I think floating could provide such a huge curative benefit for uh, veterans who are suffering from PTSD or TBI. Yet there's not a single VA hospital that has a float tank. And only as of a year or two ago, does the VA send reimbursements to uh, alternative, what they're calling alternative medicine facilities outside of the VA. Why can't we be one of those? And so the medical approval group or committee would be really responsible for making inroads to different health insurance companies, different organizations, different medical associations, trying to find a way that we could establish floating as a proper medical treatment. I think the research committee is gonna be important. I, I'm, I'm viewing this committee as something that's infused with researchers people like Tom Fine or, or Dr. Kalsa or myself, but also people who are computationally savvy, people who could help us uh, set up a proper infrastructure to collect uh, the cloud-based data from around the world, people who know how to do computer programming, people who know how to analyze data or do statistics. They could infuse the research subcommittee. And then finally, the education committee, I think this is gonna be important because every time we have a research study, we need to find ways to disseminate that to the greater community. So people who are good with social media, people who are good with marketing, people who are very savvy at how we could communicate this message to the greater audience, we need them in the education committee. And one thing I should point out is these four committees are highly interdependent. I don't necessarily view them as separate. So for example, the medical approval committee will inform us which type of studies are most important to conduct in order to get the health insurance companies to reimburse for floating, right? And then this knowledge will be very critical to informing the research committee and what types of studies we need to be actually conducting. And likewise, the fundraising committee really will dictate how much money we have to actually do these studies. So all of these committees are gonna be interdependent and we're gonna to have to have meetings that, that sort of transcend these committees as an entire collective. And then we'll have sort of separate meetings where the subcommittees will all get together uh, one at a time and sort of go through their own um, structure. So this is kind of how I'm, I'm considering right now setting up the primary aims 
of the organization and the various subcommittees that we're going to need help with. So I think there's a lot of ways uh, you guys could help. I think you could obviously spread the word on social media when we post things, um, send them out there. Um, this is gonna be really important when we um, have fundraising campaigns. I think if you guys want to donate to this cause, once we have 501c3 status, which likely won't happen until early next year, you could donate and everything will be tax deductible. And I think this will be an important part of sort of sustaining this collective. If you want to, you could have your float center participate in the research studies once we have a cloud-based system put into place. And if you're passionate about this and you think you have something to offer, join one of the subcommittees. I think this is gonna be uh, something we're gonna need a lot of help with. We need a lot of people, a lot of brilliant minds to get this off the ground. And if you are interested, um, feel free to email me directly and I could try to create sort of a list of everybody who wants to join the different subcommittees. On top of that, um, there is a listserv you could sign up at, at that uh, floatresearchcollective.org website, and we'll be sending out uh, email updates. So be sure to, to add your email to that listserv. Join the social media accounts. There you have it, guys. That is Dr. Justin Feinstein's speech on the Float Research Collective that is beginning. So exciting. Be sure to email if you're interested. Uh, the show... The email address is on our show page as well, so you can find that and let him know that you're interested in helping out with the Flow Research Collective and making sure that moves forward. Oh, gosh, I absolutely love it. Let's see here. Before we wrap up, a few thanks, of course. Thank you guys for joining us, visiting, and uh, giving a listen to Dr. Feinstein's speech. Truly appreciate that. Appreciate everybody who's supporting the show on Patreon. If you aren't aware of our Patreon, we give marketing material out to Float Center owners. Uh, there are different tiers that give you beautiful flow imagery, videos, and now we're even doing scientific blog posts as well, which is really exciting. Thanks so much to our sponsors as well. Helmbot, Isopod, truly believe in these products. I think they are wonderful. Absolutely check them out when you're doing your research for your float center. Or if you are interested in changing your scheduling software, adding float tanks, check these guys out. And thanks to Mindful Solutions. Mindful2Ls.Solutions. That's who we are using for our social media marketing. That's Kim, our co-host here on the show, her company, and they do excellent work. And I get to either kick my feet up completely and relax about our social media or just, just add in the things when I want to, which I love. It's totally changed my stress level in my life. So thank you, Kim, and thank you, Mindful Solutions. Thanks so much to my co-hosts each and every week. I appreciate them so, 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 so much. And thanks to Olga for producing our show. My goodness, I don't know what we'd do without you. And thanks to Deepest Darkest for our theme song. All right, guys, until next time, let's create that Float Research Collective. We'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.